talk about Jesus, Christianity, and anything along those lines. Welcome to week number 36 of Revelation, our next to last week of this Bible study. I'm excited you're here. I'm excited for what we're going to talk about. Let's get into it. Um, as always, if this is your first time seeing one of these videos, they're done with the understanding that you have basic that you have essentially stayed up to date with this study. Each one is sequential. Each one really can't be understood fully on its own without having watched any of the other ones that come before it. So if it's your first time, cool, love it, hang out. Um, but please go back and watch the others uh, so that you don't misunderstand what we're talking about because we're looking at a book that's written as one big thought, and that's important that we remember that as we go through this thing. I mean, we've been studying this thing since March, so it's really easy to forget that this is one thought. This is something you would have sat down and read in either one sitting or two sittings. That was the way it was written and meant to be understood. So all that being said... Let's get into it. Week number 36, Revelation 22 through 22.7. Um, as always, we're at the very end. We're finally seeing everything being made right. We're seeing justice brought about. We're seeing God's plan being fully realized. Um, and so like th that's what we're really looking at. Last week, we looked at uh, the New Jerusalem, how it was the square, um, this giant cube, and, and what that means, and, and, and all the things that are implied and go along with uh, the new creation and what eternity future is going to look like. So um, let's go ahead and read today's section, and we'll dive into it. So starting in verse 22, it says, I saw no temple in the city, the New Jerusalem, that had descended from heaven, which if you weren't here last week... Again, go back and watch those. Uh, but that, that means this is the moment that heaven and earth combine into one and God's dwelling places amongst humanity. Heaven and earth are, are, are no more in the sense of that they become one. Heaven comes to earth and God's dwelling places amongst humanity. We have Elohim, we have angels, we have uh, humanity, we have God all dwelling together. So, I saw no temple in the city, the New Jerusalem, because the Lord God, the Almighty, is its temple, together with the Lamb, Jesus. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk in its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never be shut by day, for there will be no night there. They will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Nothing that has been made holy will that has not been made holy will ever come into it, nor will anyone who practices abomination or who tells lies, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then he will show me then he showed me the river of life, of the water of life. It was sparkling like crystal and flowing from the throne of God and on the land through the middle of the street of the city. On either of the bank on either bank of the river was growing the tree of life. It produces twelve kinds of fruit, bearing this fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed is there anymore. Rather the throne of God and of the Lamb are in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night, and they will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. These words, he said to me, are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. Look, I am coming soon. God's blessing upon the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. 
So this section that we see, it initially continues the description of what we saw last week, right? Last week we saw that Jerusalem is the dwelling place of God. That's the reason it was a cube. It was a giant golden cube. That's essentially exactly what we find in the temple and in the tabernacle, this holy of holies, this super sacred space, which was a square, a cube. And that was where God's presence was on earth during the times of the Israelites. Um, and so what we see here is that the, the Jerusalem is going to be God's dwelling place. That's, that's, that's what this is. It's meant to be figurative. I don't think this is a literal thing. I think John literally saw this, but it was to communicate the message that God is going to dwell amongst the people, and this is his residence. This is New Jerusalem. And we see some things in the city that, that clue us into what we're looking at here, right? Um, the first thing we, we, is actually something we don't see. We don't see a temple. Now, what is a temple, right? If you go back and you read the Old Testament, everything talks about the, the temple. Judaism was built on uh, the temple until the exile, until the Assyrians and the Babylonians conquered Palestine and, and pulled all the people out of Israel uh, that, that were smart and wealthy and influential and, 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 and you know, the leadership, uh, and then destroyed the temple. Prior to that moment, everything about Judaism, Genesis, Exodus, Judges... Uh, all the kings, all the chronicles books, like those, everything about Israelite way of life was around the temple. So what is the temple? Well, the temple was really just a place where God met with humanity on earth, right? So in our understanding of uh, spiritual history, of the way the world operated up to that point, all the nations of the earth were dominated by these fallen Elohim, these fallen spirit sons of God, these, these lowercase g gods. Um, and they, they were supposed to be rulers of these nations. And so but they, they, they corrupted themselves, and they corrupted these nations by placing themselves up as God to each of these nations. And so God chose for himself, the people of Israel, to be his nation amongst all the world as his rescue plan starts to unfold to rescue everybody, to, to make sure all peoples become under his authority. Um, and so we see in that moment that the place that God met with humanity amongst this fallen, corrupted world was the temple. That was the sacred space. When they opened the temple, they marked out the boundaries of it and said, inside it, these lines, it is holy, it is sacred. This is places where, where nobody who is unclean, who is unholy, is allowed to go. The temple was the most important place on the planet until it was finally destroyed once and for all in um, 66 A.D., it was the place where God dwelt with humanity. It was the only place you could go to find him. Yes, God showed up in other places, absolutely. But if you wanted to go find him, that was the only place you could go. There's no need for that anymore. That's a key element to what eternity future is going to be. There's, you, you can find him everywhere. His dwelling place is amongst humanity. It's no longer a sacred space. It is there. That is where he is. Remember, all of creation is working towards the three Ps. God wanted a people to live in the place he created for them to live in his presence. That is what we see here. We see that fulfilled. There's no need for a temple because there's no need for religion. There's no place to go and worship God. You worship God everywhere. I mean, that's why Christianity is so special is because we don't need a temple. We don't need a sacred space. We are the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. And so we worship God everywhere. There's no need for sacred space. And then we see that finally and fully fulfilled here in the New Jerusalem. This also tells us that there's no need for uh, religion anymore, right? Religion is an organized structure to worship God the proper way. You don't need that anymore because there is nobody that's not part of the church. There's no separation of us versus them. Everything is unity. Everybody is united around God in the new creation. 
And so we see here that the church continues to exist because it's the only thing that continues to exist. Uh, there's no more this delineation between sacred and non-sacred, between holy and not holy. So that's the first thing we see. We see the lack of a temple. We see that the Lamb and, and God, Jesus and God, are the light of the world at this point, and that they shine upon everybody. Everybody is in the presence of God at that point. That's what that means. The next thing we see is we see kings, something you wouldn't expect to see here, that there are kings present here, and they bring gifts into the city. Now, what is a king? A king is a, a person who is an authority, is a ruler. Well, I thought in the new creation, God was king overall. I thought there was no more us versus them. And you're right, but we also see that there are still political entities in a sense. Like, you have to remember our, our world is so broken that it's hard to imagine that there are different nations and them not be rivals, them not work to beat each other, work to overcome each other. Like, it's, it's such a radically different picture, almost that most of us can't wrap our minds around it. But the fact that there are kings means there are nations. And these kings, they bring gifts into the city, not tribute. They're not trying to buy God's favor. They're bringing gifts into the city. And that tells us a couple other things. That Number one, all these nations, all these kings are under the authority of King Jesus. And that they are enriched by his authority. Right? They're, not, they're not there to, to be fearful of his authority. They're not there to try to usurp his authority. They're there because they want to be under his authority. So we have nations, apparently. And in order for there to be gifts, that means there has to be commerce. There has to be things that these nations produce, that they make, that they create, that we don't see, that, 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 that isn't done corruptly. Which, again, is something that we can't really wrap our minds around. You, corrupt commerce is everywhere. Nation, companies and, and people groups working to, to, to basically get ahead, to come up with a corporate secret and steal the other people's secrets and, and, and dominate the marketplace. We, that's not what's happening. We're seeing that people are being fruitful and productive and inventive and creative to where these nations are producing things that are worthy to bring to God as gifts. We see commerce still exists in the new creation. It's a radically different perspective than the Middle, middle Ages view that has been handed to so many of us. This, this paradise where everything you could ever want is just magically there. We see nations, we see peoples, we see commerce, we see work, we see creation, we see uh, influence, we see art, we see things in the new creation that look a lot similar to what we have now, but just the way they're supposed to be, not in a corrupted way. The next thing we see is we see that there are walls, and walls to a city were built to protect to keep out the bad guys, to exclude people you don't want inside. People, you know, the riffraff, the undesirables. But these walls have no gate. A wall without a gate is not a good wall. And so these walls are not for defense. They're not for exclusion. They're there to welcome people in. There is no enemy anymore in this. The next thing we see, we see is a river. Now, we see throughout all of the Old Testament and the New Testament, rivers and the waters of life are brought up a lot. And so, especially in a Middle Eastern context, and really anywhere in the world, water is a foundational part of life. You need food, you need water, you need shelter, you need clothing. Like, you, it's one of those things. You need to breathe, you need to drink water. Like, you can't survive without it. And so, in one sense, like, yeah, this is a literal river. But it's showing us that God is the source of life. And it brings life to the whole of creation. 
The next thing we see is a tree. And the trees are there to produce fruit, right? Twelve times a year. Twelve is the number of God's people, right? So they're the four all peoples at this point because all peoples are God's people. But it also says the leaves are for the healing of the nations. See, this is a callback again to Babel, that at Babel the nations were broken. They were led astray. I mean, if you do a study of it, Psalm 82, all those things that talk about how God views these fallen Elohim, these, these angels that he put in charge to take care of the nations, and how they broke them and corrupted them and injured them and, and harmed them and, and destroyed them. Here we see the healing of that. We see the undoing of the Elohim's fall at Babel. That the trees are there for the healing of the nations. And this is also where we see the cross come back in. Because what tree healed all the nations? That tree that was planted outside Jerusalem that Jesus hung on, the cross itself. So this is a type of cross as well, that the tree heals the nations. Now, I want to wrap up this study by pointing you at something that's kind of lengthy. um, And I will try to make it as quick as possible. But we see at this point... The promises to the seven churches have all been fulfilled, right? So in the beginning, if you remember way, way back when, Jesus starts Revelation by writing seven letters to these churches in western Turkey, his, his audience that this entire book was written to. And to each one, he promises things if they conquer, if they stay faithful, if they don't get corrupt themselves, if they don't give in. And we've seen at this point, finally, all those promises fulfilled. Which the point that I'm going to make with this is simply that Revelation is again about encouragement. At the beginning, God promises these things to these churches. At the end, we see that they are fulfilled. They get to see what it looks like when they stay faithful and when they conquer. So just very quickly, to Ephesus, he promised that they would... um, they would get the tree of life. The tree of life stands in the garden of paradise, and I will give it to anyone who conquers the right to heal from it. And 22.22, on either bank of the tree, we see the tree of life. Uh, 22.14, God's blessing on those who wash their clothes so that they may have the right to eat from the tree of life. Uh, 22.19, if anyone takes away from the words of this book of prophecy, God will take that person's share in the, in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. So we see tree of life is given to those who conquer. Uh, Smyrna, they're promised the crown of life and protection from the second death. Uh, 21, 6 through 8. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give water to the thirsty, water from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things. I will be his God and he shall be my son. But as for these cowards, faithless people, the unclean, murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their destiny will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Fulfilled. They are free. 22.5. There will be no more night and they will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign for forever and ever. No second death. They reign forever. Uh, Pergamum, they were promised manna. They were promised a white stone and a new name, which is Eucharistic language, to quote Dr. Mangina. Uh, The promise is 2.17. It says, Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. To anyone who conquers, I will give secret manna, secret food, secret sustenance, uh, and a white stone with a new name written on that stone, which nobody knows except the one who receives it. So, Manna, bread, think in terms of the Lord's Supper and then the, the, the Lamb's wedding banquet. Okay, that's, that's the context here. Um, and it's fulfilled in 22.4. It says, when they see his face, 
They will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. Okay, so we see it's fulfilled there. Uh, Thyatira, authority over the nations, and they are promised the morning star. Uh, 24, I saw the thrones, the people sitting on them, who were given authority to judge. And I saw the souls of those who had their heads cut off because they had borne witness to Jesus and because of the word of God. And also those who had not worshipped the monster or its image, and they had re not received the mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with the Messiah for a thousand years. Uh, 22, 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am David's root and offspring. I am the bright and morning star. They're promised Jesus. They're promised to rule with Jesus. We see that fulfilled. Sardis, white garments, and the name in the book of life. Um, it's fulfilled kind of in 1914. There's some debate as to whether this is actually talking about. It's definitely fulfilled. We see in other places. But 1914, we see the armies of heaven follow him on white horses, all wearing shining pure linen. And 21-27 says, Nothing that has not been made holy will ever come into it, nor will anyone who practices abomination or tells lies, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Uh, so we see uh, they are promised uh, purity, white garments, and they're promised to be named in the book of life. Philadelphia, uh, they're promised a pillar in the temple, which if you are confused what that means, go back and watch that week's study. Uh, and then they're promised three new names. 21-22 says, I saw no temple in the city because the Lord, the God Almighty, is its temple together with the Lamb. 22-4 says, They will see his face and his name will be written on their foreheads. The pillar of the temple is this thing that holds it up. They dwell within it. That's, that's what they're doing uh, because Jesus is the temple. Uh, Laodicea, they promise that they will be eating with Christ. Again, the, lion, the Lamb's Supper, the wedding feast, Eucharist. All right, keep that in mind. And they'll promise to be sitting on the throne. Uh, 1919, write this, he said to me, God's blessing on all those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he added, these words are the true words of God. And then 22.5, there will be no more night and they will not need the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun because the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. Revelation is a complicated book. It is not an easy read. It is very confusing. It is why it is so rarely taught in churches because of how complicated it is. But if you step back and you do the work and you go verse by verse and you look at the context and you look at all the things that John calls back to in the prophets and in the Old Testament and you put all this together and then you see it as one thought from beginning to the end, from the promises and letters to the seven churches to how they're fulfilled, you see a beautiful picture of a God who loves his people who is willing to make things right, who is going to make things right, who doesn't abandon his people, who doesn't leave his people out to dry. They may suffer. They may struggle. As a matter of fact, they promise that they will. But it's not because God is cruelly leaving them out there. It's because God's doing something bigger. And God will make all things right in the end. The world is broken. The world is harsh. The world is cruel. It is under the authority of fallen, evil, spiritual beings who want nothing more than to destroy God's favorite things. But we see that God is making all things right. It will be difficult, but it will be worth it in the end. If you have any questions, reach out. Otherwise, we'll see you next week for the conclusion of our study of Revelation. See you then.